It says, we are black women born into a society of entrenched loathing and contempt for whatever is black and female. We are strong and enduring. We are also deeply scarred. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Shawana Salon. It's a place for spitballing, storytelling, and socializing. It's the salon, right? And I am Shawana Brooks. I like to muse around Jacksonville, basically talking about my community, my connections, and above all, my creative friends. So I'm ready. Let's get into it. The salon starts now. Lots on my mind, as there is pretty much every day. Um, And lately, I have been challenging myself to get more back into my own writing. Uh, I love poetry. Gosh, I love it. Um, I love hearing poets and, you know, um, within any practice, whether it could be just reading one or seeing someone perform. Poetry really has that way to me to affect your heart and to pull you into an experience within how the words are delivered. That is completely different than just hearing a song or seeing someone dance. Words uh, fly out of mouths like the Cheshire Cat in Alice in Wonderland and you can feel them build up the anticipation and take you on a roller coaster and sometimes just you know leave you in a park feeling just beautiful and fuzzy and, and dense from that. And words again are completely playing out here now um, on a constant basis where Let's talk about propaganda and not only, you know, using images, but using words in order to help feed a particular story. Um, How do we keep working on what we know to be true and what we value as truth as 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 people who live together? We constantly feel like we're not affecting one another, but there's a butterfly effect that takes place on each thing that you do. So if I go out here and I decide to rip up some plants and flowers and just throw them around, I feel like maybe that's only really affecting me and the flowers and the plants at that particular time. But if I mess up that soil and and no other plants can grow there, if I've messed up now the the ecosystem and the ants and um, the bees can't even come around to keep, you know, um, fertilizing and, and going forward and making life create, then here I've I've destroyed something even when I had no intention. So I think we got to, again, challenge ourselves on a consistent basis about what is coming out of our mouth and how we're talking to one another and how we're communicating and, and uh, constantly with media sources and things fighting at you at every turn to to get the, the clickbait and, and, and to turn on something and to read something that really basically probably had no basis in what you wanted to know before, but now they've got your attention. We, we've, we've got to keep on this about how we're directing ourselves and, and what we're saying to each other. And hopefully we'll come to some kind of barrier where if even if we're not speaking the same language, we'll be able to communicate with one another better. So I'm looking forward to having a conversation with our next Solani guest just about this and uh, communication and narratives and what we can do for one another. So stay tuned. Shawana Salon is coming up next. Well, I'm so excited to have you all back here with me in Shawana Salon uh, to 
just to remind you of the person who's speaking right now. I'm Shawana. I'm your host, Shawana Brooks of Shawana Salon. And today we have a very exciting guest, someone who um, I've gotten to know a bit over the few years. Uh, She's an exciting individual who wears, again, a lot of dynamic hats. She's worked in the financial world. She's done really amazing things in the arts and cultural world. And I liked how she bridges those two mindsets together. So today in Shawana Salon, we have Yvette I almost just said it and I just lost it. Hyatter Adams. <laughs> shameful, shameful. Don't be shameful. And, and we just talked about, like, again, the pronunciation of your name. Mm-hmm. And, again, what I love about it is your name is very fancy without mm-hmm. it being mm-hmm. that way. And mm-hmm. so let's talk a little bit to you. One, can you give um, our salonies an introduction to who you are, Miss Yvette? Oh, great. Well, uh, first of all, the whole thing with the name, I was on another show and I had a moment uh, well, I could not remember two <laughs> authors' names for this bridge called my bag, and it was Cherie Morega, uh, Morega, and uh, Gloria Anzadula. Ah, see. <laughs> and so I was like, "Oh my God!" I had like you know a moment there where it just went, and I was like, "Oh, brain freeze, brain freeze." So I no apologies, you yeah. know. Yeah. Angelique hired or Adams is something that you know my mom and dad gave me, so that's a mouthful. <laughs> So let's talk about the Angelique, because mm-hmm. I, I love seeing that in your name. But a lot of times, you know, again, that that isn't how you're referred to. Mm-hmm. And so that goes back to, again, your mom, who you just yeah. mentioned. You know, yeah. of course, she gave you the name. Right. But tell us a little bit about, like, where that Angelique comes yeah. from. Well, my mother loved the Latin and French languages, and she studied that um, in high school and in college. She was a, a French tutor. She mm. tutored people in French. So she gave us all French names. So I am Yvette Angelique. My sisters was Lisa Colette and Veronique Roxanne. Oh, my god! And gosh. so we are all like three little black girls growing up in the 70s with these French names was a trip. I can relate to that because um, at one particular time, um, I, I kind of fell in love with the name Simone, but mm. the French way. Yeah. So like the Simone. 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 That's you my know? daughter's name. Really? She is Simone Angelique. Does she have the accent? Uh, she goes by Simone, but you know, I like. I, no, I was like, I, I, I wanted it to be Simone. 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 Yeah, Simone. Simone right? Julie. Yeah. So. And there's so much to names uh-huh. and the pronunciation of them and the meaning, like, you know, again, mm-hmm. because your parents do name you before mm-hmm. you even get a chance to form your own identity. Right. But we take on to what that is and our mm-hmm. expression of it and how, um, like you just said, being three little black girls and having these French names, we already struggle as black men and black women within our name values Mm -hmm. where I would say, you know, to the minute that we were probably brought over here um, and indoctrined into a Christian society, the names that were given within tribal communications were certainly not, you know, um, somebody being now named John Adams. Or again, if we go back to roots, Kuta Kinte was was not Toby. And so, you know, for a while that we were taking on these new biblical names and maybe it was around, like I would say, between the 50s and 60s within the black power movements that you saw people again try to recollect and give, I think, new naming ground to their first names um and then that just kind of kept evolving where you get into like the 80s and you get into the 90s and now the you know like we're into the 
the, the thousands of, of, of this living. And contextually, we're still struggling to find our identity within our names. Um, sometimes you don't want your name to be of a certain thing. Or if you do have a little bit more of an enthusiastic name, once you get into the professional world, you change it. Um, not to give too much away, there was a friend of mine and she had a, you know, a, a typical I would say, you know, kind of black girl name where it was Shamika. But yet I knew when she was professional, that was not the name that she went by in that world. And it was I was a little bit shocked at first because uh, I've constantly been Shawana. But I've not always worked within the bigger corporate landmines of what that is. But I constantly have had to fight for people to pronounce you know, my name correctly or to not add extra ends or to not add anything extra on it. Like the pronunciation right. of it is Shawana. Exactly. It's not Shawana. And being in high school during the time of, you know, in Living Color and Martin and having so many other people to now be influenced and to be able to see black life you know, I, I I always struggled with how people would say it where, you know, you had that context of who Shanene was and what she looked like and what was attributed to her. And again, you had a black man playing a black caricature of a woman. But for people who didn't get or weren't in on the joke, when they would come to you and be like, you know, um, what's up, Shawana? Or, you know, the whole you go girl colloquialism. Like I said, it didn't feel authentic from right, their mouths. Right. And, and then it becomes a stereotype and buffoonery mm. and all that kind of uh, thing. And so naming is really important. And, and for me, with my last name is Hyatter Adams. People want to call me Vet Adams because they can't say Hyatter. And Hyatter is German. Right. And so, you know, I walk around with this French and German name combination. And I tell people, look, Mrs. Adams is my mother-in-law. Mrs. Hyatter is my mother I am Ms. Hyder Adams. Yeah, give you both. They <laughs> it is give both. You both. It is not two separate names. It is one. So uh, that's a real challenge for folks. And yeah. I correct folk on a regular basis. I think you have to, again, yeah. because then it makes them feel like they can be so comfortable with that familiarity. So let's talk a little bit, Ms. Hyder Adams, about uh, your, the context of all your career facets. Mm-hmm. I alluded a little bit before that, you know, you used to work in the financial world. Mm-hmm. Can financial you talk a little services. bit more about what yeah. you did I was then? an executive in banking. I worked in uh, an area called Change Management Strategies. Uh, it was with Core State's Financial Corp, which is now folded under Wells Fargo. And um, years ago, this was in the 90s, and we were a really large regional bank in the Northeast. And our um, headquarters was in Philadelphia, and I reported directly to the CEO. And our work really uh, centered around looking at organizational culture and creating strategies for growth, looking at our structure. So um, during that time in the 90s, banking went through a lot of mergers and acquisitions. Mm. So I would do cultural assessments, not only from our bank, but banks we thought about buying. We did a lot of work in diversity, leadership, process improvement, reengineering. So there was a lot of training, employee relations, employment. So it was really around people strategies. That's um, incredulous, just again, just hearing all the facets that went into this one very job. And Mm -hmm. I feel like you've taken a great deal of what that is, and you've now extended it more to your creative life. But you've always had the creativity there. Absolutely. Within what you were doing before. Well, the thing about it is, I tell people, I never held an incumbent job. I think I had one job in my career was incumbency. My my life began as a musician. Mm -hmm. And so um, I 
play guitar and I was a guitar teacher, studied opera, you know, classically trained. A lyricist too, no? Uh, yes, songwriter, all that good stuff, composer. So when I went into banking, I was a guitar teacher and then went into training and retail. I was a trainer in retail. And I was hired by a bank because they needed somebody to come in and create a leadership Um, experience for their bank. They had trainers for tellers, but they didn't have any other type of development. So I went in and created this whole thing for this bank. And then from that point, other banks wanted me to come in and start up new departments. And so for me, uh, because my background was, you know, being an educator of music and and also uh, educator in retail, I always thought about what did the client or customer need and design that back. So I'm very customer focused and looking back with the customer needs and building it from that back. Mm. And that gave me a lot of cachet and um, created tons of opportunity for me and corporations. And so when I left banking, I actually outsourced the department that I ran as a third party business for the bank. And I negotiated a contract where um, myself, my management team and the bank were all co-owners of the business, and I did that until that business was bought out by Wycovia, this now under Wells Fargo, Fargo. and they didn't have that business model, and so I bought out um, 100% of our shares, and then I ran a profitable consulting firm for 15 years after that. Just before I moved to Jacksonville area, I decided I did not want to head up a corporate uh, consulting firm anymore, that I wanted to be an individual practitioner, so I decided to come down here, and now I am... Uh, running Narratives for Change, which is a social enterprise um, using storytelling as a way to support women and girls to advocate uh, for herself and for her tribe Mm. and using um, the written and spoken and visual storytelling to do that. So that's the emphasis of my practice now. And let's 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 break into a little bit like these narratives. You just recently remarked on how, you know, you when you were working within the financial institutions, you you weren't here. You're not from Jacksonville, even though you already did have a little bit of awareness of the city and some contacts here. But your family isn't from here. No, my husband and I are here. The the, the fun Mm. of the transplant, you know, what they like to call. (laughs) But I feel like you've you've definitely made um, such an impact Right off from the very beginning, um, you've already served on a couple of very interesting boards and committees. The work that you have done, like you know, within Narratives for Change, is definitely permeating around this city. You just had a very successful um, talk and just presentation over at Yellow House within talking about like upcoming work that you're working on. So in addition of you being this lyricist, this financial wizard, you know, you're also this uh, incredible writer and poet and have been expressing yourself within those ways. And so we talked a little bit earlier about how, um, even though you are a writer, you're, you're still a musician kind of number one at heart. And so much of what you first have to feel, um, comes into a, a melody quite style before you start getting on the vibes of the words. Yes. But you and I both know words are incredibly powerful in the way that they're implemented and put together in order to affect empathy or change in story. And really the best storyteller is who we remember. It's it's not a lot of times that because of history, 
it's it's always so honest and truthful from everyone's perspective. Somebody just got the ability to tell the better story. Right. And to have that be the conditional thing that we take up as we're coming um, into this landmine of of context and misconfusion with words and propaganda and fake news. How do we take these narratives back and to explain them again within our own usage in our own mouths? That's such a great question because people ask me a lot because I've been teaching creative writing now for about 17 years. And in teaching creative writing, what really differentiates kind of like my teaching style is to have people tell the truth. We're so used to dressing up, you know, to sell ourselves brand ourselves, um, to make ourselves look good for other people. Mm-hmm. And so I I look at people's stories and I said, okay, this is a nice story. So if I were to peel back an onion to what the um, gut of the story is, you know, tell me more about that. And I help people peel back the onions until they can get to that kernel of their own personal truth. And they know they're there when the tears are there, they're choked up. It's maybe a story that they feel like they don't want to tell or they can't tell. I said, it's just you, baby. You know, nobody's forcing you to put this out on the universe, but you got to get it out of your body. You can always dress it up for the universe, but you got to get the story out of your body. And when you can hit that kernel of truth, Trust yourself that you're going to shape it in a way where you can tell your truth and put it out into the world. And for me, that is a critical part of the work that I do in Narratives for Change. When I help uh, women and girls get to the core of that story, I always call it keeping it real. Mm. And, And I say that not just as kind of like a little tagline, which is kind of it become it has become for me now but um, but I truly mean it about hey if you can't tell yourself the truth and you can't be real with you who who are you going to be real with oh that's exactly and so when people say well gee how can I tell this story and it's like what well, what's the truth what's the truth of your story um, whether you have all the pieces or not is irrelevant because you're holding that in as your truth You can always put questions around it about what's true or not, but it is a perspective that you hold and a belief you might have. Name it and say that's where it comes from. And then explore around it, you know, in terms of, well, what are some alternative truths? What are some additional truths? Because as you and I know, you know, we can have one point of view, but there's always several different stories and context around everything that we believe in. And And I also believe in, exploring those pieces but before we even get out to look at that other thing outside of yourself you need to look very deeply of what's inside of yourself how do you feel like cognitive dissonance plays a part in that because i feel like again you know if you have this especially within our society there are such strong beliefs um again not not truths just beliefs and it's so hard once you do present somebody with new information that if they still want to be constricted within that belief system they can easily digress to what that is and not really compound the full benefit of the truth so how do we again like you know move them away from that i feel like, like with the work that you're doing it is a part of that but i just wonder um you coming from living in the north and i love again like i don't know when the the north and the south will eventually come to terms with (laughs) their perspective (laughs) narratives of what people like the north like you know like like so much has happened and and there have been a lot of progressiveness 
that I'm sure right. there are things that once you came to Jacksonville, like you said, before you wanted a little bit of a, a slower pace of life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that Jacksonville is so recessed. It's right. just this is where we are. It, this is just where we are this along the point our of journey, where we are. around right. our journey. Um, the the piece I would say to people, like, oh, Jacksonville is backwards. I said, you know, backwards means that you went forward and kind of went back to something. And I said, <laughs> so I don't see Jacksonville as a backwards place. I see Jacksonville as a on an evolution, on a, on a journey of evolution. And so. Um, and coming from, I was born and raised in the Washington, D.C. area. That's where I grew up. And then my husband and I moved around in our 20s to, you know, California. We went to New Jersey and just very distinctive cultures. So uh, people have different frames of references. And the issues around um, particularly some of my experiences as a black and African-American woman mm. Uh, I had different experiences, positive and negative, in all those spaces. So, and everywhere I go, here I am as a black and African-American woman. So that narrative, um, it's a narrative that just doesn't belong to the South. It belongs to our country Mm. about the experience of black women, not just how um, whites perceive us, but how we as African-American women Mm -hmm. deal with ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. one of my favorite... um, um, muses and writers is Audre Lorde. And I have oh, yes. this quote from her book I want to read to you. Please. It says, we are black women born into a society of entrenched loathing and contempt for whatever is black and female. We are strong and enduring. We are also deeply scarred. And that's something <clears throat> that we experience as a society Mm -hmm. and that is something that we as black women also carry in among us and between us. And so, you know, I believe in these sisterly connections to go deep. And it's hard it because it's, it's a deep truth-telling piece we have to look at ourselves. So for as much as we have to deal with the racism outside of ourselves, there's an internalized racism and sexism that we have to deal with in ourselves, in our own group. True enough. Like, I feel like um, depending on perception, on pedigree, on mm-hmm. um, still we have our classism things that um, mm-hmm. will differently affect. Uh, I find myself, again, code switching all the time. Now, certainly I, I, I would be the first to say I'm and I don't even like to you know, necessarily use this word, but for a better, less of a context of the word, like I'm I'm not like ghetto or ratchet. In the ways that I know that other black women that I admire and love uh, are a little bit more feisty within their slang and how their speech is and how they talk. I, I, I'm, I'm very aware that I am a safe negress mm. uh, under you mm. know the scope of what whiteness is and in those barriers that mm. I look a certain way, I act a certain way, I talk a certain way. So I'm comfortable mm-hmm. if maybe my neck rolled just a little bit more or, mm. you know, maybe if my hair was uh, even more brightly colorful ordained, maybe if my style of dress wasn't as um, tight and it was a lot more reflective. The 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 political identity courses of what they're doing now to me is nothing on the way that black women also want to protect but also 
to me shame each other. Oh, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. I mean, for me, I look at it a little differently. I, I say like, I own the ratchet part of myself because mm-hmm. I know that lives in me. I also <laughs> <laughs> That's true. The right person come along. We're going to pop off. Hello? I'm going to pop off. <laughs> you know, and I'm okay with my head roll and I'm all right. Well, you know, girl. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I can go there. I call myself bilingual. <laughs> Because it is a bilingual, I know how to speak in front of one type of audience and be in another type of audience perfectly well. And and that's cool. And there's some fun parts to that because it's part of me. And there's also a very intelligent, you know, part of me that uh, I enjoy speaking and being in the world. But I don't need people to reflect that back to me. Oh, you mm-hmm. know what? You're a very intelligent person. And yes. It's like, well, what were you expecting? Yes. And so part of this thing has to do with other people's lenses around who mm. I'm supposed to be. And it's not about who, how I see myself. And, uh, you know, I owned all that. There's an arrogant part of me, a ratchet part of me, a funny part of me, a smart part of me, a, 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 a spiritual part of me. Right. Yeah, a, a fun. I, I mean, there all those things are parts of me that I embrace as my inner black woman that right. I feel really good about. I think another um, interesting narrative that gets attributed to black women, again, is that angry black oh, woman. That's a good How one. come um, women of Latin culture and heritage, if they're angry, they get to be spicy and mm-hmm. it's fiery and it's it's a part of them and it's attractive. But 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 what but whatever we're upset about makes us um, become, you know, um, bitchy or mm-hmm. uppity or mm-hmm. unwanted or unattractive right. within focality and, and showing what that is. I, I get very concerned mm-hmm. with, again, all these different perceptions and lenses, as you so greatly said, that get put upon us. But then if we don't see our own reflections right. back or if we can't reflect back to one another, how can how can we come together? Especially yeah. in a city where I, I don't, it's not like we're necessarily punished if we're in a group, but I, I, again, I find that either we have to meet in this kind of secrecy way that if we full on want to be unapologetically black and communal, then people here start to want to pick apart why that is. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that whole angry black woman is real mm-hmm. um, because I always tell folks, oh, you haven't hit the angry black woman yet because you I don't let her out very often. Right, right. <laughs> so so well, if you're experiencing anger and, and a part of this is, is that we have a culture which is predominantly, you know, based on um, European white values of, you know, we got to keep things copacetic. We can't have any disruptive, you know, conflict is looked at as bad. So if I raise an issue, um, oh, that's being, that's conflict. So therefore you're angry. It's like all these judgments get attached to it. It's like, wait a minute, I'm asking a question. I'm not angry. I'm not. And so part of this piece, now when I am angry, I'm going to say, hey. So, but part of this thing that folks need to appreciate to to put the the, um, angry black woman in context Black women, you know, from my legacy of slavery, couldn't afford to be angry because that meant killing her babies, killing her man or whatever. So (laughs) it's like when I say, you know, please, you have not seen angry black women because I've been trained to not be angry. My mom's been trained. My grandma, we have been trained, conditioned. conditioned. conditioned to hold that anger back because that meant. Somebody yeah. was going to get that anger killed. Can, that anger will get you killed. So trust me, you have not seen angry black woman. Right. <laughs> right. The full intensity, as you said, of what that is. And again, how dare you? Because what does that mean? Can we not be emotional? 
Right. Uh, is there no room for my happiness as well as there is for anger? Um, am I only available and ready to you when it's the necessity of need of what you are to fit in, to be this this sultry, this Jezebel, this mm-hmm. this this hood, you know, rat or um, like the even the controversy uh, just recently with the Target card that was released that has like, you know, Father's Day is coming up or probably by the time this podcast comes out, what have already passed. But um, Father's Day and then they have like uh, the baby daddy think right. and you know i've saw a lot of context and conversation people being like well that's not just a word that is owned you know within the black community but yet on the front of the card they had you know the features of what looked like people of african descent so it wasn't like they had five different baby daddy cards you had this card and it's very clear who you were marketing to exactly. um so I think we can be angry about that. But yes. then when, when, when it comes time to speak in that tone and in that voice, then it's always like, well, you don't, don't, you don't need to be up that upset. But, but there's, there's room for anger and everything else, too. And the upsetness has to do with the cumulative impact because it is the microaggression mm. of so many pebbles. It's like if I'm on the beach of pebbles, if I pick up a pebble, there's another thing, there's another thing, there's another thing. Yeah. So, you know, with my name, you know, the baby daddy, mm-hmm. you know, size, loudness, what mm. you're supposed to look like. I mean, you just add up all the microaggressions, my hair, yeah. my speak. You add up all the pebbles, pebbles on the beach, and I got to tell you, it's a huge, huge rock. Yeah, wow. You know, it's a huge, huge rock. So part of this thing is not just the the thing that we're talking about in a moment; it's the other creepy, crawly rocks underneath that thing. So there's there's so much more involved, and it's we. I mean, where do we have these conversations? True, true. <laughs> you know? I mean, I'm not gonna say that's like part of why you know, like I wanted to create this 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 platform, this podcast was because again, I didn't feel like I was able to have or I was contextualizing these conversations in a way that people would be able to get it over time. Like it's it's not just one thing. There's a lot of multifacets, and when you said that rock, like I felt that weight. There's there's yeah. there's to really come into spaces and to own your full identity and the authenticity of what that is, that's no easy feat. No, it's and not. I get I rec I, I I commend you all the time. I feel like you walk around with this um with this bravery and this self confidence. That I'm sure again, like you know, there are moments where, you know, you're not completely all the way in your shoes. But even still, I, I feel this light from you and this presence of being. And I know that was hard work to to get to that point and to also not let others shame you for it and make you feel a certain kind of way because you are coming into it with your whole identity. And also sometimes having to be that person to challenge others that when things get left out or if when people want to change your words, if you submit something and you've said it in this way and then you come back and then they they put it like this. I like that I know that you'll even like that's not what I said. Correct. You need to keep it to how I said it to you. And we don't have to let other people like because maybe they're afraid of what that looks like. But then we're still not being real. Absolutely. You know, people want to control our words. Oh, you meant to say this. Oh, here's what I heard you say. I said, well, if that's what you heard me say, let me tell you what I said and what I meant so that my words can be clear that they're from me and not from what you think I should be saying or what you thought you heard. And so it really gets real dicey. And as you and I know, words matter. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm not saying I have never said words I wish I could take back (laughs) because I have had those moments. And for the most part, 
they're words that I meant. And, you know, there's very few words that I say that I don't mean. Right. But it's not like it's never, never happened. So and, and we're all, you know, we're all in this growth process together. One of the things that I always tell people is that, you know what, when we talk about change and growth, that is not pretty. It is messy. Yeah. I, with one of my uh, clients up in D.C., um, we call it, I call it funk stank. <laughs> and they crack up at that because like, we've legitimized that word funk stank. I said, look, I said, it's a dance. It's messy. You're going to do three steps forward and two steps back. I, it's, it's growth. That's what growth looks like. Mm-hmm. We got to give ourselves a little bit of grace because if we don't, you know, then we're we're falling into this facade of of uh, perfection, which none of us have. We have to give each other grace because we're going to say things that are raggedy and messy as we try to learn about how to change ourselves and how to accept um, these differences that we are exposed to every day when we show up into places. And so, for me, I am unapologetically Yvette all the time. What you see is what you get consistently. Um, One of the things even people who don't like me over my career have said, you know, Yvette, I never was one for your style, but you've always been very consistent. So when somebody said you did X, I know you didn't because you didn't do it for this, that, and the other. And I know you didn't do it here. And for me, that's a compliment. (laughs) I am very consistent. Well, you know, I've enjoyed our conversation thus mm-hmm. far. Mm-hmm. I know we would continue to keep talking about how we keep disrupting these narratives. You know, I just want to thank you unapologetically. Y V E T T E is is here on the microphone and and it was in the salon and just for that encouragement on grace and 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 trying to do our best and also forgiving ourselves at those moments when we fail and that we can continue to get back in the game mm-hmm. and hopefully uh, to our salonies who are listening. Um, a good reminder of that we need to check in with one another um and 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 that's okay like you know the way you want somebody to be or behave or look is not necessarily the way that they need to be and we have to be a lot more accepting absolutely we need to embrace ourselves sister friends so let's do it we do we do well miss yvette hater Adams, it's Hyder. I messed it up. It's Hyder Adams. Y'all get it correct. Thank you. Um, thank you again for coming on the show and talking with us. We just appreciate your time and your value. And for those of us who want to be more in contact with you, how can they reach you through social media? Get me on Facebook. You can get me at Narratives for Change on Facebook and also Evangelique. Hyater Adams. There it is. There it is. There it is. And do that immediately because you got so much good information and there are people out there who really could use your expertise to help them to grow. I know I've personally used it and I already feel all the movements and changes in my life. So just thank you again for being you and thank you for coming here to our fair city and challenging us to be even better. Thank you. Well, wasn't that another interesting conversation for us to have here in Shawana Salon? My thanks again to Yvette and everything that she shared with us about her experiences um, um, in life. And, and, and man, she has them, you know, from living uh, across the way and, and growing up in D.C. and living in California and Jersey and now having this um extraordinary life here in Jacksonville, Florida. I admire women who are not only able to 
come through the fire to be who they are, but within their experiences, constantly are challenging others to be who they are too. She's definitely one of those people for us here. And if you haven't had a chance to hear her work or her poems or her writings, I encourage you to look out for Narrative for Change and see when you can come to the next Open House event. Uh, I hear it was a smash a couple of weeks ago when they had a, a boisterous reading. And I'm excited to also possibly work with Yvette and some upcoming programming that should take place at the public library. So just stay tuned for all those kind of conversations. I know there's more that we could talk about and we would go on. And if there are things that you found interesting, please make sure you give us that feedback for Shawana Stallone on the Essential Cultural Podcast Network. That's where you can find all of the past uh, conversations that we've had and to continue to be a part of Shawana Salon. So thank you for listening and we will see you next episode. You can find me at Shawana Brooks on IG. You can also find me at Shawana Brooks on Facebook. Maybe leave me a message. Tell me about the show, what you want to hear, what we need to salon about next. What are your interests within the community and where black arts can intersect with that? I have been your host again, Shawana Brooks, and I'll be so excited to talk to you next week. Stay musing, stay fun, stay listening to the salon. Mm-hmm.